Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, March 21st, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a mini water cooler and talk about what we've been watching, and then we're going to follow that with the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me as his podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Happy Monday, everyone. How's it going? I'm, I'm doing pretty good, I guess, considering, you know, uh, Kitra broke her ankle, so we've been basically watching a lot of TV, a lot of uh, watching a lot of TV in bed, which is why we're doing (laughs) that. And the fact that there's not been that much exciting news going on recently is why we have like this mini water cooler to start off this episode. I I haven't participated in a water cooler on this podcast in like, I want to say like six months or something. So it's been a while, but um, there's two things I wanted to talk about. uh, One of which is super pumped the battle for Uber and this is a TV show that is on Showtime, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. It comes from Brian Koppelman and David Levin. And uh, those are the guys that were responsible for Billions. And Brian Koppelman was uh, the co-writer of Ocean's 13 and Rounders. And um, this is based on the 2019 nonfiction book of the same name by Mike Isaac and... Okay, so this is the this is basically <laughs> you could tell that they went into the room at Showtime to pitch this, and they were like, "What if social network, but it's about Uber?" And th- that's what this show feels like it is. So it tells the story of the the rise and fall of Uber CEO Travis Kalanick, uh, who is played in this by the always charismatic Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it also co-stars Kyle Chandler, who is amazing, Uma Thurman, Elizabeth Shue is in it. And um, and actually, they're, I guess they're turning this TV the, – the plan is to have this TV show each season is going to be a new story focusing on a, other businesses that have affected oh, so culture. so they're doing like an anthology thing with it. Yeah, so even though this is based on a book that was just about Uber, it's going to be – I don't know what the other seasons are going to be, but um, 
Uh, I, I'll say number one, one of the most interesting things about the show is it has a voiceover uh, that like is narrated, and the narrator is credited, I think, in the show at the end as Quentin M. F. N. Tarantino. <laughs> oh, that's right, because Tarantino did do the voiceover for this. Yeah, day. yeah. So it, every once in a while, you'll have someone explaining, you know, w- when it has to like be more complex, like like explain the dynamics of venture capitalists and how they, <laughs> you know, Quentin Tarantino comes on and there's like some graphics that go on the screen and it's super stylized and he's, you know, t- and Quentin Tarantino's doing it not like, uh, he's doing it as if Quentin Tarantino was explaining it to you. That makes sense, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I've followed the tech uh, industry. You know, I'm, I'm a techie, so I kind of know a lot of the stuff going on with Uber. But I think a lot of people who use Uber and haven't followed the story might be shocked to learn all the you know all the really crappy things that uh, this guy has been responsible for, which includes and is not limited to um, you know using the camera on the driver's apps to spy on uh, the drivers and passengers, <laughs> um, you know, breaking app store laws and like actually tracking like uh, the, there's at one point he was tracking like I think journalists that were like, had something against Uber, like just using their, you know, their phone in the background, not even while they were like on Uber rides. So uh, there, it, it's a it's an interesting story. It's told stylistically. It's it's fun. I think I've um, only uh, four episodes in, or something like that. But it, it it's really good. I, I, I would highly recommend this. Uh, it does feel like it's trying too hard to to be the social network, if that makes sense. But um, but yeah. So uh, so that is on Showtime's called Super Pumped. Uh, before I get into my second one, Ryan, why don't you tell us about one of the things you have been watching? Uh, I have one quick question. Uh, with oh. Super Pumped, I sort of got the vibe that it was more like, is there like a big short element to it? Because that's kind of more the vibe that I got more than Social Network. Oh, th- there's definitely a big short element to it. It, it. it is like Social Network meets the big short. That would be the perfect explanation of what this is. But it, it, it's, yeah, no, it, it, is, it is definitely like a combination of both of those things. So if you enjoyed those things, go watch this. If you... If you didn't enjoy either of those things, <laughs> stay okay. away. Okay, yeah, because that, because that's because because the thing is, I'm not subscribing to Showtime, but like I did want to watch <laughs> the show, so it's, you know, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I uh, I, this is almost old at this point, but um, uh, I've been making a bigger point to actually watch movies at home because I'm very bad at like streaming new movies because I like seeing things in theaters, but. Uh, I watched No Exit on Hulu, which is like a just a quick 90 minute thriller that was made by 20th Century and was supposed to originally go to theaters, I guess, but ended up going to Hulu. And um, man, oh, man, was this my shit. Uh, <laughs> um, it is a uh, uh, some people have been kind of like a little soft on it, like, oh, OK, whatever. It's just like a little thriller. But like this like worked like gangbusters for me. Um if you have 90 minutes and are willing to sort of just like go with a somewhat isolated thriller without knowing much about it, uh, that would be my recommendation. But the very basic pitch of it is a very bad snowstorm takes over and a handful of strangers are trapped at what is essentially like a community center and the roads are impassable and uh, something happens 
And they are sort of stuck there together with this sort of gigantic red flag hanging in the background. And uh, it, man, it's, it's efficient. Uh, it's very compelling. It uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and it, and it just moves it like, you know, it, it gets in and gets out and uh, it was very much my shit. And, and I, and I, again, if you've got 90 minutes, I, it's hard for me to imagine anyone not having a good time with it. I really, I, I, I think it worked a little better for me than it might for other people, but it, it's hard for me to imagine people being like, well, that was a bummer. Cause it was, it's just a good, it's a good old fashioned good time. And wh- where can people see that? It's just Hulu right now. It's just a straight up Hulu movie. And uh, yeah, cause again, like it was 20th century produced it. Uh, and you know, people don't know, you know, Disney bought most of Fox and that include 20th century studios. And so now pretty much 20th century studios is, is now like a content farm for Hulu. So instead of these movies going to theaters, <laughs> which would have been Fox movies, like they're now pretty much going to Hulu. So the good news is about that is that we're getting like interesting movies. It's just the types of movies that I wish I could still go see in a theater. But like, yeah, this is uh, so, yeah, if, if, if you're kind of missing sort of like original adult skewing movies, no exit is a good like a good fill for that sort of hole in your heart. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention, you mentioned about Showtime. I do think Showtime has a 30 day free trial, Ryan. So if you haven't ever, I'm so tired of signing up for things and canceling, canceling, like I haven't even done Ted Lasso season two yet because I don't want to sign up for Apple TV plus again. I know. Just buy a new Apple device. Don't you get like a year? Are they still doing that? Maybe they I'm not an Apple guy, so I wouldn't know. Ah, well, they, they, they were doing that for a while, which I think juiced their numbers at first. Like, totally. Because you know, everybody gets an iPhone every you know year or two. So it's like, uh, okay, uh, what else have we been watching? I watched Pam and Tommy. This is, I guess I've been watching a lot of miniseries, uh, uh, Biologic, uh, biographical miniseries. Uh, this is a drama. This it tells the story of Pamela Anderson and Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee. And they're played by Lily James and Sebastian Stan here. And it's about the, the story of the unauthorized sex tape that was made public in the 1990s. And it's based on the a Rolling Stone article of uh, the same name. And uh, here, it's a Hulu series. I guess we're, we're both talking about Hulu today um, from Robert Siegel. And Robert Siegel, uh, he – I think he's probably best known for writing The Wrestler for Darren Aronofsky. And he did The Founder as well. But uh, I first, I think, discovered him at Sundance in 2009 with a movie called Big Fan, which is a Patton Oswalt uh, dark comedy. And uh, he, he just gets like dark comedy. He's, he's good at dark comedy. The, the good thing about this show is that this is like one of those things that if, if it was just a movie or if it was just a show and it wasn't based on a real life event, you, you would check out right away because you'd be like, there's no way this happened. This is so unbelievable. This is there's no way that the, any of this could have happened, and it gets like more batshit crazy the the further it goes along. Uh, so from on that sense, it's compelling. Um, it's funny. Uh, I I have some problems with it. I don't think it's the same problems that uh, I, I read a lot of other people are having with this because obviously uh, this is the case of. Um, this is a story about uh, not having consent. Uh, you know, this yeah, sex tape yeah. got released without consent, and uh, Pamela Anderson is not involved in this. She uh, 
she didn't respond to producers when they contacted her to be involved. So this was made without her consent. Um, I get why people have a problem with that. Um, I don't think they need her consent because it is such a like big news story. It was a big part of culture. Uh, so I, I get why people have a problem with that. I That wasn't the sticking point for, for me. The sticking point, and I did watch this whole thing. So, you know, not saying uh, not not saying not to watch it, but the sticking point to me is like this this show, this miniseries, just makes her out to be like such an idiot, and it makes uh, Tommy Lee out to be such an asshole, and he he might be, she might be. I'm not saying anything, but uh, it kind of seems like the hero of the story is the guy that stole the tape and has a redemptive arc in the end oh interesting because i haven't seen the whole thing yet i'm about yeah. halfway through and so seth rogan plays this carpenter that basically yeah. stole the tape from yeah but he got home. burned pretty hard by like that's yeah. the thing in the beginning you sort of tommy lee was a complete dick yes like yes. like and 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 I have no doubt that he probably is a real deck in real yeah, life. But like, not, no not to say that stealing is right or anything, but like the dude, <laughs> but no, but like, I mean, just so people know, like if you haven't watched like the, the dude in the beginning, like he, he's out a lot of money because, you know, Tommy Lee just essentially was a dick. And then yeah, like, and, him over. And, 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 you know, he's like in debt up to his eyeballs for doing this job for Tommy Lee. And so like, I don't know. It, I mean, I'm not saying that, but you know, it's like, there's, it's a lot of like gray area, like a lot, everyone pretty much except for Pamela Anderson kind of exists in the gray a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a tough subject, especially when she's not involved. So oh, totally. I, I guess in the end, maybe I do have the same sticking point that other people have, but I, I don't think it necessarily needed her to be involved. Uh, it, I just don't know if how I play, I'd be interested to see what you think after you see the, where it goes. Um, yeah. So, uh, but but ha- have you been enjoying it? Uh, I have. I again, I'm slow. I, I'm not a binge. I'm not a binge watcher. So I've been kind of almost going at like an episode a week. You know, like I sort of just been slowly working my way through it. But I, I am liking it. I really, I think Seth Rogen's giving one of his best performances in it. Um, oh, he's he's awesome. And it's directed by uh, Craig Gillespie, who yeah. did um, I Tanya Lars. Yeah, I Tanya Lars and the Real Girl. I guess also Cruella. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess yeah i guess we can we can add that in there um uh yeah but yeah no i'm enjoying it for sure and uh what else have you been watching right uh i just went and saw x last night uh ty west's uh Ooh. return to horror uh with the uh which I, yeah it was it was a it was a i i mean i'm gonna echo what a lot of other horror fans have said about it, it it's it's a ton of fun um, it's, I mean, it's, it's really violent, and really uncomfortable, but it's, it's, it's a good time. And what, what uh, is the pitch for X? Uh, late seventies in Texas, a, uh, sleazy film producer and his, uh, uh, band of, of horny misfits go to try to make a porn movie. And, uh, short of after Debbie does Dallas made a lot of money and right <laughs> as like the, the home video market was emerging. Uh, so their idea is like, let's go make like a, like a porn that can make a lot of money. And then, um, they go shoot it at this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere and things get murdery. Uh, <laughs> uh I guess is the, is the short pitch for it. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I had a really good time with it. Uh, saw it with a packed theater and it was a lot, it's a very fun as horror often is if you're with a crowd, very fun, very energetic setting. And 
And uh, I mean, A24 is already turning it into a franchise. They got a prequel and possibly a sequel already on the way. So they're 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 feeling bullish about it. Wow. I think the first film I saw of his was House of the Devil. Does it have that same kind of like retro vibes to it? I mean, certainly it's set in the 70s. So it's very. Yeah. uh, uh, I mean, like very much so. Uh, inher- it's like inherently tied to the to the premise of this one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we, even though we have some problems with some of these things, uh, we recommend all four things we mentioned today. Super Pumped, Pam and Tommy, X, and No Exit. So go check those out. Uh, let's get into the news. Let's talk about box office. We haven't talked about box office in a couple weeks here. Uh, you know, Batman came out, did pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the big thing is that, you know, similar to what happened with No Way Home is the Batman came out. Most other big releases backed away from it. Um, so it's pretty much had free runway to to win the last few weekends. Um, so it's like it's a it's a it's a hair away from crossing 600 million worldwide. It's already over 300 million domestic. Um, it topped the weekend again for the third week in a row this week. Uh, I mean, it's 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 pretty much the best case scenario for Warner Brothers. I w- would expect a sequel announcement perhaps by the end of this sentence. Um, uh, it, it, I, it, you know, it's, it's going to happen. There's no way it's not going to happen now. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the only bad news is that it was one of the only Hollywood movies to get a release in China. Uh, because if people don't know, that's not really happening anymore. And you look at like in the last handful of years, you know, Venom made like over $200 million in China. Transformers Age of Extinction made over $300 million in China. It's the biggest movie going market in the world. So Hollywood losing out on that is rough. But the Batman, meanwhile, only made like $12 million there because something like 40% of the country's theaters are shut down due to COVID again. So the problem we're realizing now is that even the movies that can get released there, you can't depend on anything. So essentially a gigantic portion of the global theatrical marketplace is essentially just off the board for Hollywood now. You can't count on it anymore. That is so you pretty much if you're making a movie, you now have to say, okay, maybe China can be icing on the cake, but we can no longer count on this. And that 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 really affects the math. Uh, So, you know, that's a big deal. And, and, uh, you know, it uh, you know, it's 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 something to to consider moving forward. But uh, but what was we what was really bizarre is um, I'm not an anime guy. And I almost say bizarre because this has been an emerging trend. But um. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Uh, Jujitsu Kaisen Zero opened, uh, kind of quietly in in the U.S. and and took second place, made like 15 million dollars, uh, which was big. So it was a good bit of a counter programming, cementing anime as a lot more than sort of a niche thing now. And you know, good, good, more more unique programming in movie theaters is good for movie theaters. So that was cool. Uh, X, which we were just talking about, only made 4.4 million, but it was kind of a tough sell to mainstream audiences. And I think that was a good opening, if not a great opening. And I hope word of mouth will push it in the coming weeks. But those were kind of the big stories coming out of the weekend. It's interesting because I feel like every few years there's the thing that's going to save Hollywood. You know, uh, it was DVDs and Blu-ray and then it was 3D movies you know, the 3D upcharge, and then, you know, that went away, and then it was, uh, you know, China. <laughs> you know, every, it, all the big budget movies were trying to get releases in China because that could mean 
like you said, you know, a few hundred million dollars extra in the box office. But for a lot of movies, it did mean the difference. Yeah. Warcraft, for example, made more than half of its money in China. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if that movie would have been an utter disaster were it not for China. So like, it, you know, it, it it is going to matter in terms of these big blockbusters. It is absolutely going to matter. Um, you know, because some of these movies, like a lot of those, 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 I think third and fourth Transformer sequels were essentially made with the budget they were made with the idea that, yeah, we're pretty much guaranteed a China release and we're guaranteed a lot of money. And yeah. so, you know, that's going to that's going to be a huge factor. And you had a lot of these movies like putting Chinese characters or even casting some Chinese stars in like minimal roles just to maybe cement a Chinese release yeah, or, or to sort of get like a little bit more attention from those moviegoers and yeah I don't know it's it's I mean as someone who just wants to be able to see movies continue to succeed this is a, like a little concerning to me because I don't know where you make up that kind of money now granted you won't studios only end up seeing about 25 percent of ticket sales returned from China due to international taxes and stuff but if you look at a movie like Venom where you make 200 million in China Getting fifty million back because you got a release in China is a hell of a big deal. So yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think is next? What? How will Hollywood make up for the lost revenue from China? I think it's going to be a lot of bad answers that are short sighted. I think like because you essentially have to turn inward, right? So you've got to look to the domestic market, and I think we've already seen like batman you know theater chains charging a little more to see batman um maybe in an in an, uh, an enhanced focused on like premium format screens and stuff but i think when really the goal needs to be trying to get your average joe back off the couch to go to the movies charging more and making it a more expensive experience is not necessarily the way to do that so i think you're going to kind of end up maybe alienating even more of the audience in the process uh, that is the cynical view of it, but I really don't know because streaming has not yet made up any of the revenue really that's been lost by Blu-ray and DVD sales because streaming essentially puts most services in the red. So you're not really making anything uh, yet. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know where the money's going to come from. Uh, it's it's kind of an interesting problem. Premium <laughs> VOD is helping. Like a movie like X is going to benefit a lot from VOD, but you know, that's not making up for everything. So I don't know. It's it's funny how I'm not hearing the possibility of a second wave of 3D and high frame rate coming you know, with the release of Avatar. 3D was a flash in the pan. It wasn't nobody cared. Like like for a moment they cared a little bit. I hated 3D. I don't I don't think there's a chance 3D comes back. And you don't less, think with Avatar that well, that well could... but in, unless James Cameron, I remember from a couple years ago, James Cameron, he was talking about they're working on trying to get no glasses 3D. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I so don't like think if he that's can actually, happening. Well, right, but if they could work that out where it's like a real experience and like you're not just putting on glasses that give you a headache, you know, like maybe, but that seems pretty far away and you know vr cinema doesn't seem to be taking off like some studios thought it might so i i honestly don't know you know yeah. you have things like 40x and things like that that are sort of again going to the premium format stuff but still very niche markets and still not you know you're not going to make up three you're not making up 200 million dollars worth of box office for you know with those stuff so i don't know i will say this i'm not sure that this is the future of movies or anything like that but 
I, I don't know what things are like where you are. I know you're in Texas where, you know, Alamo Draft House is king and they, they have their own subscription service. But uh, here in LA, you know, I have the AMC uh, A-list and I go to them well, before Kendrick Brooker Ankle, I would go to the movies a lot uh, with the AMC A-list. And uh, what would happen here is the big theaters, the ones that are IMAX or the the prime, you know, the recliner seats, the nice like seats, those are the ones that sell out fastest because everybody with A-list want to get into those one or two or three theaters out of the multiplex. And then you see all the other theaters like empty. And it's not because, you know, they're not showing big movies. They're showing Spider-Man No Way Home just like it is in IMAX and then, uh, you know, the Prime or Dolby, you know, all those kind of uh, Dolby Cinema uh, uh, houses. It, I'm wondering if we're going to see because of these subscription services. I'm not even sure if this is a thing that's happening nationwide or if this is just like an L.A. thing because L.A. people want the like, you know the comfortable seats and stuff. <laughs> but I, I wonder if we're going to see more of the theater become the premium option and less of the theater be the, like the normal cheap uh, ticket prices. I wouldn't surprise me if they started converting to again, but this goes to like converting because it's not even just the screen and stuff, right? Like the, before the pandemic, the Alamo draft house model was really taking off yeah. and the idea that like, you're making movie going more of an experience and more of a thing again. And the idea, like you can go get dinner, you can go grab a beer and they have special programming and it's like going to the movies is a thing. And so I think the, that's going to be more toward what we're moving toward. And that like the idea of not paying like $14 just for a tub of popcorn, but like, you know, that idea that like you can go get some actual food and you're getting some value for your money and you're getting, you know, you might get like more revival cinema and you might get like, programming like you know the pre-show or you might have people there to do a Q&A or something to make it feel like hey there's we're doing more to make this more of an experience so yeah you might get more converted into you know the premium format theaters but I think you're going to get just more of like that premium experience all around but that goes back to my idea that that makes it more expensive all around and you might just be alienating your Joe Schmo. So yeah. it, it's kind of the trade-off there. Does that work out in the end? And I don't know. I don't have the answer. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about some Star Wars news very quickly. On Friday, it was revealed that Christopher Lloyd, star of Back to the Future, has joined The Mandalorian Season 3. Now, uh, we don't know much more than that. This came from The Hollywood Reporter. They basically just know that he has a role it's being kept under wraps and um uh who knows if he's going to be a human or an alien we don't know anything i know that um last season on the book of boba fett one of the directors of photography one of the cinematographers was dean cundy who of course shot the back to the future movies i'm not sure if that's connected to this in any way um maybe lloyd visited the set one one of those days and was like i would love to be in a star wars movie and you know or a star wars show and this ended up happening or something uh this has to be like a one and done role right this has to be like a one of those like one episode appearances uh i would suspect um uh, yeah, because I mean, you got like we, you know, I, there, there, there's been a lot of Mandalorian stuff where it's like 
you get like Michael Bean in there for an episode and you get like a lot of these interesting genre icons in there for like an episode. Um, that seems like what would suit Christopher Lloyd in this situation. Um, also he's not getting any younger. So like, I don't know that you necessarily want to like from a franchise perspective. Ryan, <laughs> how old do you think Christopher Lloyd is? That's he's in his eighties for sure. I know that. Yeah. He's it, 83 years old. Yeah, I've seen, you know. I've seen, I've seen him at some Hollywood events um you know probably even more than three years ago because this was before the pandemic and like he was not getting around that what like i don't know it, 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 that, that's why i say that i don't think they're going to give him like like a big supporting role i think it's going to be like one of those like uh right. fun things because you know we, we don't know how long we're going to have this guy anymore and, and, like, yeah and i'm not trying to make it dark or anything but yeah, yeah, yeah. that does have to come into account like i think about that anytime they're like here clint eastwood go make another movie i'm like are you sure <laughs> you know, like, but, you know, i feel bad saying that but you know yeah. reality reality but but uh the, the one funny suggestion i did see um this is pretty deep nerd star wars stuff is that so we know thrawn is going to become a thing at some point again and we're, we're almost definitely getting thrawn in live action and uh if anyone remembers the original heir to the empire novel where thrawn debuted before we kind of figured out that he was like a blue skinned alien named a Chiss, there's like, he's, he's like a white bearded wizard in a robe. And, uh, someone was joking on Twitter about like, maybe, you know, like they, they you, you just make, um, you make him like that version of Thrawn, <laughs> which would like really upset like a bunch of people. So you just have Christopher Lloyd playing like the bearded robed version of Thrawn. And I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but yeah. You know. Well, you know what? I love Christopher Lloyd. I love Star Wars. I can't wait to see whatever he plays. Oh, in... I'm all for it, but it'll be a small thing. I would. Oh, guess. you know what? I just thought of another connection here. I, I I didn't even this didn't even occur to me until now. But Peyton Reed has done some episodes of The Mandalorian, right? He's done. He's he did done the Frog two Lady three, two or three, and then he did like the season two finale. Yeah. So he. I'm not sure if you know this. This is deep, uh, a deep cut. But before he became like a you know big director, before he got, um, oh my god, what's that cheerleading movie with? Uh, bring it on! Bring it on! Yeah, so good. Uh, before he got that, he worked on the Back to the Future: The Ride no that shit. was in Universal Studio. Yeah, he's the guy that I uh, I think wrote and maybe directed all that stuff. So I, and he also was involved in the animated the back to future animated series. So he has like huh. a legacy and a relationship with Christopher Lloyd. So maybe that's why he's involved. Maybe, uh, maybe it's going to be Peyton Reed's episode. Yeah. But also Christopher Lloyd just still yeah. likes to work and oh, yeah. he's still like, he still shows like he doesn't have to do anything and he still <laughs> shows up at conventions. He's still like, he showed up in nobody last year, which was great. And he like really showed up for that movie. And he does like a bunch of episodic television and like, so I think like the idea you go to Christopher Lloyd, you're like, hey, Chris, really, do you want to do some Star Wars? He's like, hell yeah, I want to do some <laughs> Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, why does he say no to that? You know what I mean? Like, why? You know, like, I don't know. Like, it just oh, yeah. it doesn't even, It you know, that's all I'm saying. Is he's just one of those guys like him and like Christopher Walken and some of these guys are just they're just like blue collar actors. They just like to work, <laughs> you know, which I love that. I love that. Like, so it and like weirdly Ben Kingsley sort of falls into that category as well. Like, yeah. Sir Ben Kingsley just shows up and stuff, you know, so like, why the hell not? Yeah, Ben Kingsley likes a job. 
Um, <laughs> God, does he ever? <laughs> <laughs> no, Ryan. I just like to, to to make the connections. I feel like there's always a connection somewhere. Always, and, always. Yeah. And so I, I just like trying to figure out. You know, I'm I'm that puzzle. I'm that guy trying to speculate and try to figure everything out. So there, there must be a connection here, right? That's me with be. movie math. That's how I work with the, that's why the box office stuff works for me. Like, like I'm looking at X. I'm like, so a 24 has all but greenlit three movies based on $4.4 million worth of box office. And then like the house of cards, that is the movie business starts to no longer make sense to me anymore. Well, if, if you understand the, the box office math and you're trying to figure out that, can you explain to me, we're apparently getting a Godzilla vs. Kong sequel. This is something I didn't expect at all. Uh, can I ask before I jump into this why you didn't expect it? I mean, I think it like also it was kind of dumped onto HBO Max during the middle of the pandemic. So we we don't know how well that movie did. But it also seemed like the, the movies that preceded it weren't getting the big buzz that Warner Brothers had hoped from this monster verse. Well, all right, let's, let's, let's look at, so, okay. So, all right. So there's not a lot. I don't of have any numbers in front of me, so I, yeah. I could be t- totally talking out my butt on that one. But. Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, no, but it's, but, but I think it's because I think the, the, the perception is very interesting because you have to look at like, you know, people that don't look at this for, you know, for, a living essentially like what their what their perception of it is but the idea so right now just to be clear there's almost no information and the just that a godzilla versus kong sequel of some kind was going to film this year in australia uh we don't know if this is the one that adam wingard was attached to uh which at one point was loosely being pitched as possibly a son of kong remake uh but but again that might not be what this movie is um uh, and sequel could mean anything here, right? Because the, the trajectory of this franchise so far was 2014's Godzilla, then Kong Skull Island, then Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now Godzilla versus Kong. So who knows? Um, but, you know, just for reference there, those four movies collectively have made $1.9 billion at the global box office. King of the Monsters was by far the worst of the bunch, making 383 against a $170 million budget. Um, so Godzilla vs. Kong made 468 uh, with that HBO Max release and still managed to pull 100 million domestic. So that sounds good on paper. That's why we're getting a sequel. However, we were just talking about the China thing. Uh, I did a breakdown of Godzilla vs. Kong for Tales from the Box Office a few weeks ago. And what's interesting is, um, speaking about that like precarious nature of these releases, Godzilla vs. Kong made $188 million of its money in China. Wow. So you take that you take that 188 million out of it, this is no longer a hit. At least on paper. So, you know, that's where this gets interesting to me. But you know, the math as it exists does kind of check out. So But if they're making a sequel, it's gonna get a Chinese release, right? Probably, but things are very precarious there right now. You know, like we don't know, like fewer and fewer American movies are getting released there of any of them. This is most likely to get there. But the other thing to consider is, again, the Batman got released there and it made almost no money because the theaters were shut down again. The the theatrical marketplace as it exists is very unstable. So, like, sure, maybe it secures a Chinese release date. But what happens if the date comes and theaters are shut down again for some reason? You know, it, it that's what I'm saying is just the idea that like what's going on in China and the idea that you were that reliant on it 
it, you know, it makes the math a little less, it, it puts things on pretty uneven footing for sure. So what you're saying, Ryan, is we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket. <laughs> I'm saying that you just have to take that basket out of the equation entirely now. And if the movie doesn't make sense without China, don't make the movie. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so w with all what you had, you have just said, do you think that this is a smart financial move knowing that China might be out of the equation? I think it's, I think you need to find some way to hedge your bet. I think this is a franchise still worth continuing with, but you've got to find a way to make it. Maybe you either, you know, split the release with a streaming service or something like you allow it to go to theaters, but then maybe like, you know, they're making that show for Apple TV plus. So maybe Apple throws in and then like, you know, you essentially know it's going to be a streaming play, but then like theaters are a part of it. So maybe, maybe you hedge your bets somehow, but uh, you know, that's just me spitballing, but eh, it, it's, it's precarious math. Creatively. Do you think there's something here? Like I remember Adam Wingard in yes. last year was talking about his idea for the future. And he said that they, they basically have teed up like the hollow earth, that whole, you know, the prehistory of planet earth and where the Titans came from. Do you think, where do you where do you want to see this go? Uh, I would like to. I, I I will say that was my least favorite thing about Godzilla King of the Monsters <laughs> is that they were married to all that very weird world building. Um, but I'm I look I'm all for this is like this is my bread and butter as a moviegoer like giant monsters and blockbuster popcorn shit. Godzilla versus Kong was my first trip back to a theater after COVID. Me and my friends rented a theater. I literally cried the day that I showed up to the theater because it was so nice to be back. I had a wonderful time with it. Um, I absolutely love 2014's Godzilla. I think that movie has been judged poorly by time, and I think it deserves a reassessment. Uh, I, I loved Kong Skull Island. Uh, I, I mostly like where these movies have gone, and so I'm sure, great, give me more big monsters. Let's do it. See, uh, I loved Godzilla. I loved Kong Skull Island. King of Monsters. I don't want to talk about it. I know. Yeah. And Godzilla vs. Kong, you're right, was a satisfying, like, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. So it's it's not like I'm against this, Ryan. I just, I guess I'm like all those people that, like, are always baffled why they're making more Transformers movies because they don't have anybody in their life that are excited for Transformers movies, yet they make tons of money. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know anybody... I don't really have that many people in my life that were excited for the MonsterVerse movies, so I'm kind of shocked that they're they're making another sequel. But yeah, they I, I'm they make it. their money. They make their money. I just I will say the only thing I'll say about King of the Monsters was that like that first trailer was so good, and yeah. I was and like and I like I was convinced that was one of those movies that was going to change my life. Like I was <laughs> like I was like this is everything I've ever been waiting for. And then, like, that was one of the most disappointing theatrical experiences of my entire life. And, uh, yeah, like, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating. I was deeply disappointed. Like, I was upset. And I uh, think yeah. Godzilla had the same kind of it. That trailer, that first Godzilla trailer was so good that I think when like you say that that movie has been, um, you, you know, wrongfully yeah. kind of, yeah, I think it's because expectations. I See, think my, it's largely expectations. But that was what was weird because I my expectations were through the ceiling for that movie. And then, like, yeah. I was very happy walking out of the theater that night. I don't, I, I just, everyone's like, more monsters, man. I'm like, I don't know. The old Godzilla movies weren't exactly like you get 
65 minutes of weird human stuff and then 20 minutes of monster brawl <laughs> at the end like it i don't know it felt I, I don't know that movie is such a strange example to me of like people like but i will agree that original i don't know if you're talking about the first main theatrical trailer or that comic-con teaser trailer but the comic-con the, teaser yeah the comic-con teaser was is maybe my favorite teaser trailer of all time it is so good there's also another thing about that movie uh spoilers for Godzilla, what year was that? 2014. We're giving a spoiler warning for an eight-year-old movie. Yeah, I mean, people get whatever. But, uh, you know, this was a time that Breaking Bad was huge. And um, oh, yeah. Brian Cranston was like kind of a big deal at that time. And I think a lot of people probably went to go see that movie for him. And he kind of gets killed off, what, like half an hour? Extremely early, like just after the first act of the movie. And that's my one complaint is I wish they hadn't done that. (laughs) And I think that's a good swerve, but I think that kind of left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. (laughs) Yeah. To see a Brian Cranston in a big monster movie. And he doesn't even die in a cool way. Like he dies in like a really like, oh, some scaffolding fell on him. (laughs) You know, like it's pretty like, uh, that's my one and only like, if you could change that and like he dies heroically in the third act or something instead. Like that would have that then you know then to me that's a perfect movie, <laughs> yeah okay uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com you can find this podcast on Apple Google Overcast Spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>